welcome into Utah Jazz guard Mike Conley Jr. leading the best team in the West right now, 14-4, 10-game winning streak, and playing on ESPN Friday night in our second game of our doubleheader against a return game against the Dallas Mavericks in what has become these homestands in the NBA. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. I want to, there's a lot I want to get to the season you're having, the season that this Jazz team is having, Mike, but I want to ask you first about Sekou Smith, who passed away this week, NBA TV and Turner and people knew him. He was a mainstay in Atlanta, covered the Hawks for the Journal-Constitution for a number of years and started covering the NBA in your hometown of Indianapolis and he covered the Pacers. That was his first, when I first uh, got to know him. Mike, anybody who's played in the league as long as you have and, you know, played um, in the playoffs year after year and, and, and are around the national guys, I imagine you've, you you had a lot of memories and a pretty good relationship with Seku because everybody had a good relationship with him. Yeah, um, you know, and that speaks to who Seku was. I mean, he was an uh, awesome individual. You know, our thoughts and prayers go to his family, his, his wife, his kids. Truly, you know, tragic uh, for all of us in the NBA family. You know, like you said, he got started there in Indy and um, somebody that I got to, you know, made aware of then. But as I got more years in the league and while I was in Memphis, uh, he's done multiple trips down there and, and you know, sat down, had interviews, um, just, you know, weren't talking basketball. He's got talking about life and self and family and things like that when I was expecting my kid, he was giving me advice uh, on, on being a father. So, I mean, like, that's just who he is. And, um, and it's just very sad to, to, you know, have something like that happen. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I equate Seiko a lot with Memphis because one of his, maybe as close of a friend as he has in, in our business, Ling Whitaker, works uh, out of Memphis now. And I know we spent a lot of time there with Lang. But I, I wanted to ask you, for people who maybe don't understand the ability of somebody like Seku, and this is what and Seku and I would talk about this. You know, he went to Jackson State. He went to um, one of the historically black uh, college, one of the historically black colleges and universities in the country. And um, you know, he didn't come up in the business the way, you know, he didn't go to Syracuse or journalism school at Missouri. And and I went to a small school, and we would talk about different paths to doing this. And I always thought what his gift was, or one of his gifts, right, Mike, was his ability to connect with people and people's, how easy it was to talk to him, how easy it was to trust him. And you you see so many guys who come in and out of your locker room through the years, reporters, and how was Sekou different from almost, almost anybody else? I mean, you, you, you said it, um, you know, being in the league a long time, it is hard to trust people. It's hard to trust. I mean, anybody, media, people outside the game, um, you know, because there's always angles. There's always, you know, people have their reasons for doing things. And he was a guy that you could you tell you could tell from the beginning. You, he talked to you so genuinely. Like you just be like, all right, I want to talk. I want to talk more. Like I want to open up to you. I want to let you in on what's really going on. How I'm feeling. Um, and like I said, like our, pre, you know, one of our last conversations was about family, you know what I mean? And kids and things like that. Like that's something that you don't normally talk to uh, somebody who's 
on the journalist side, you know, the media side. So um, that that's a great gift, and that's something that you know made him who he was and, and made him very special. Yeah, I, I think uh, back to a lot of events we were together at would be where there's very where we were away for a long time, like covering Team USA at the World Championships or at the Olympics. You know, I remember being in um, uh, London with him and just going out to dinner a lot of nights because there's only a few of us there. And, and it was always, it was always, I always remember that we'd be talking about the kids going back to school and how his kids in Georgia, you're back in school like in August. And so we would always talk, we would be somewhere and his kids would already be back to school. And he'd always be showing me like the latest, you know, his son's midget football team and the photos. Like I just always remember him you would be seeing the kids grow through the photos he had on his phone and he, he's going to be missed. And, and it just, and I don't leave it here, uh, Mike, but like you, you're very sad about this initially. And I'm, I know everybody's sad. And then you get a little angry because you, you just feel like it didn't have to come to this for not just Seku and his family, but so many people in this country um, to be, to still be losing the amount of lives we are and to lose people like him, you, you, you get angry because it, it didn't have to be like this. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think all of us are carrying. Um, you know, each individual that passes away from this um, and falls ill um, has a, has a bout with it. I mean, all this stuff is, it just, it makes everybody just so frustrated. Uh, it's been the I think it's been like that for everybody over the last year and a half. Just thinking about you know how can you know I be better? How can my neighbor be better? How can we help kind of stop this thing? Because you know obviously we didn't want it to get to this point, but it is. So how you know what, what's the best ways that we can you know effectively um, you know start start to dwindle these numbers down? Because you know yes, it happened to Seku, but it's happening all across the world to a bunch of families and individuals and, and it's hitting everybody close to home. Well, I think the last place I'm sure both of us saw him was in the bubble and he was, he was there. And I remember having some of these conversations with him in the mornings over breakfast in the, the room they had there. And I, I wonder, Mike, having played in the bubble and seeing what that environment was like, and then imagining what it was going to be like to play this season in this environment under all the, rules and protocols that they put in place for you. How did you imagine this going as a team, as what life would be like at home on the road? Is it more maybe mentally taxing on people or teams than you even would have imagined? Or is this kind of what you expected that this, this would be like? You know, um, I think after having the bubble experience, um, you know, being one of those first first teams to do that kind of gave us a glimpse of what ultimately it, it may get to, you know, the regular season. What if we play in a bubble? Like, you know, what if, you know, if we're not in a bubble, it's going to be airtight. You know, we're not going to be able to do nothing on the road. We're going to be, you know, pretty much at home or in the gym. And that's pretty much how it's been, you know, for, for us. We've been lucky enough not to uh, have too many, you know, cases or outbreaks and stuff like that because we've kind of just really locked down on, you know, family and not visiting people and doing things like that. So um, the year has just been kind of exactly, you know, how we kind of envisioned it, you know, with the, you know, things being airtight and um, the NBA now recently kind of getting even more stricter on, 
certain rules and regulations. So, uh, but it is a it's, it's a mental it's a mental thing, man. It's a mental challenge for a lot of people because it changes it changes you in a way. You know, a lot a lot of guys like to get out, like to move around, you like to do things, like to eat out. You, you know, um, you have routines, and um, so now everybody's just got to adapt and, and and get used to the program. I, I've had a couple different general managers say to me and talking about teams who were struggling and saying that these were teams where they might have had a lot of turnover or asking a lot of young players at an early point in their career. Rosters changed and they said, like, you know, we didn't have summer league. We didn't have an off season. really didn't have much of a training camp. And now we're even limited in how much practice time we have or how much we can get together. And they point to the Jazz. More than one has pointed to the Jazz and say – that team and that group is really built to thrive in this environment. You've had a team, a veteran team, a team that's been together. You know, the player you added in Derek Favors, everybody else played six years with the guy. Yeah. He was new, but he was, wasn't new to everybody else. Yeah. And it reflects in – there's a program in place there. Quinn has been in place. The front office has been in place. Do you buy that thinking at all that it is that, you know – in this environment, this jazz team, it's not an accident that you're, 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 you played as well as you have so far compared to maybe the up and down you've seen elsewhere. Yeah. Um, we definitely, we definitely buy into it. We believe in that. And, um, that's just, you know, what coach Quinn, what Dennis and, you know, all front office, when they put this team together, it's, it's full of a bunch of guys who, who get it, you know, get, get the little things, get the understanding of, of, you know, obvious unselfishness and um, sacrifice for one another. And when you have that kind of environment built uh, for a guy like me to come in and for Fave to come back, you know, you get guys back in the fold and get more comfortable. Um, it, it bodes well for, for, you know, us to kind of hit the ground running. And uh, we've kind of done that early, uh, kind of just continue to build our, off our progress from the bubble. You know, we had obviously Boyan was out during the bubble. So trying to reintegrate, uh, everybody back together, and, and we've we've done a really good job of just sticking true to who we are, and, and thus far as it's worked out. I mean, Mike, I I know there are a lot of things you could point to, and, and I'm do point to about the kind of start you had last year in Utah, and some of the struggles, physical, the the physical stuff, the injuries, the uh, playing with a very different group, playing in a new place, all those things. How did? That organization, those players there, that coaching staff, when you look back, how much did they help you to be able to work through what was, I'm sure, very frustrating individually and say, hey, like, it's my sense was they were just not putting a lot of pressure on you to have to figure it all out in just a few days or even a few weeks or even a few months. Yeah, man, they were they were incredibly supportive. I mean, top to bottom uh, from management to my teammates. Um, coaches, I mean, everybody was just, you know, they know what kind of a person I am, what kind of a player I am, and they knew what I was going through, you know, at, at the time, and, and you know, it was a tough transition. Um, and you know, when you're not playing your best ball, and then you get injured in the midst of it, um, you, it's harder for you to kind of, you know, get back to, you know, proving who you are because it's, it's like you want to do it, but your body won't let you, and so like you almost have to, you have to be even more patient. And um, and those that's all they kept preaching is just being patient, be patient. Um, slowly, you know, slowly they'll get there. And as the year went on, uh, started to pick up, and pick up, and 
uh, felt way better and more comfortable in that latter half of the year, even before the, the postponement of the season and, and took it into the bubble. And ever since then, just, you know, just been really, uh, re really just kind of playing in the comfort zone. What's the difference, Mike, of struggling and going through diff a difficult stretch in a place where you've been for a long time, where you've built up that equity, where you've won, where the fans and everybody around knows who you are and what you've done there versus going through it in a place that just made a big trade for you, traded a couple first round picks and you're being billed as, hey, here's the missing piece for our group. What's what was the uh, maybe the mental struggle or how different it is doing it in a new place versus a place where, you know, you had been your whole career? Oh, yeah, that that was uh, that was a unique challenge, you know, because if I was in Memphis and, you know, I started off slow and had a hammy hamstring injury, I think, you know, obviously the previous 10 years or whatever, of you know, what I've done, they'd be like, oh, Mike's, you know, had this happen before. He's, you know, we know what kind of player he'll come back and, you know, do this and that. And, you know, when you're trying to come to a new place and that has so much promise and, you know, hope for a year and expectations and a lot of that being solely put on, you know, you as a new guy, um, you want to, you want to lay out a, a good first impression. And, um, and it's like the, it was a weird year, but it was like the harder I tried, the worse it got, you know, the harder I tried to do things, the harder I tried to play, it just nothing was kind of going right. So um, it was a, it was tough, you know, it was tough because you know, you're going through that in front of everybody, you know, you're going through that mentally, physically, just, you know, you're so down, but everybody's seeing it all at once, you know, the social media, the fans. And, and, uh, and so it's really hard to kind of have pushed through it. But uh, thankfully, I, you know, like I said, the support around here is awesome. And, and ironically, last year was one of my most favorite years because we were so good and still having like the team was so good and was having such, such a good time with them. And, but individually, it was just, you know, it was one, you know, I couldn't sleep at night because of that kind of stuff. Even at, with everything you've accomplished and the career you put together, does it chip away at your confidence? Does it, do you have to fight that every day uh, to hold on to belief or is that something that's not an issue for you? You know, um, not it's it's not an issue. It's you know the confidence and and you know finding who I you know know I can be because I think ultimately I always knew who I was. Coach always knew who I was. My teammates always knew who I was as far as a player. And and it was in my opinion like I just felt like oh I, you know I feel like I'm you know getting a lot of bad breaks. Whatever's happening, but I can't wait to be let out of this cage and show people what I can do. I'm just waiting for it all to hit and, and hit at the right time. And, um, and it slowly started to do that. And, uh, and once it did, once, you know, shots started falling, once, you know, you understand defensive schemes, all the play calls, you know, how much you're going to have the ball, how much you're not going to have the ball, like all the things that I wasn't used to, you know, uh, even thinking about, you know, down in Memphis, um, became thoughts here. So it was just, I think I was thinking more last year than I was, going out there just playing. So much in Memphis, you were playing a two-man game with Marcus Saul, and I think there were more weapons. I mean, there are more weapons in Utah. Uh, I mean, how much was it that of trying to figure out where I need to assert myself and when and where, like, it's not just pick and roll with point guard in the center, but it's obviously Donovan and 
you know, Jordan Crawford came in and, and that second group, um, not Jordan Crawford, Jordan Clarkson. But just trying to figure that part of it out, you had just, you were playing with more weapons. There was so much on you in Memphis. You and Mark, there was just so much on you two there. And it might sound easy to people, but that's a process. Uh, it sure is. You know, it sure is. For for the way I play the game, too, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that comes out and tries to shoot 10, 12 sh- shots in the first quarter. Uh, I like to fill the game out. I like to just play it and, and if a guy's got it going, I let them go, you know, kind of deal. And in Memphis, you knew, you know, I knew like, shoot, I could not shoot a ball the first two quarters, but I know the third and fourth quarter, I'm a, you know, I'm gonna get 15 shots up and be aggressive. And but you know, I could, I can't necessarily bring that same mentality to, to Utah. If I don't shoot in the first half, I, I could not shoot in the second half because we have so many weapons and so many guys that that get going that uh, you can kind of get lost in that. So uh, for me, it was trying to trying to really find and sit back like, you know, when is the time for me to be aggressive? When is the time that I can put my imprint on the game? Um, how can I get the ball in my hands, you know, more often early in the shot clock so I can make plays for Donovan and Boyan and uh, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Clarkson, Rudy, all those guys. So um, just trying to – that whole process just took – it took a while, especially having the injury in the beginning of it to where I just never got a chance to really, you know, play alongside him. I remember you and I talked uh, at Summer League right shortly after the trade happened and we were in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about the loyalty you and Mark had in Memphis and that you guys grew up, the Spurs were the team that you were competing with and young players in the league looked at the Spurs and said, well, that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to play with guys for a very long time. You stay in one place. Um, and, and you keep trying to figure it out there. And there came a point where it was coming to an end in Memphis. And Mark goes to Toronto, and uh, you stay a little bit longer, finish out the season. You get to Utah, and it almost, to me, of all the places you could have been traded to, I think what you always imagined it could be in Memphis, and I think you had great success. You got to a conference finals. Um, probably didn't sustain, the organization didn't sustain a supporting cast around you the way they've sustained putting one, keeping one together in Utah. In some ways, have, are the Jazz an extension of what you imagined it would be like in Memphis in terms of a group that's just been together and they just you, you just keep trying to win it with these guys who you'll add around the edges, but you got your core guys together and a coach there for a significant period of time. Yeah, you know, I think you know what we have here. Um, it's it's very similar. Um, to the process we were trying to build in Memphis. Um, I think the styles are, are more similar to the Spurs where, you know, you have a lot of ball movement, a lot of shooting, a lot of, you know, uh, pace and, um, and the defensive schemes are very locked in. You know, you have, uh, you know, guys who just play hard and, and, and play for one another. And that's, and that's what we, we were trying to achieve in Memphis. And that's exactly what, you know, like you said, all, all of us kind of grew up looking at the Spurs, like that's basketball right there. Like that, the way that they just move the ball, every, you know, possession and everybody touches it. Like that's what we wanted to strive to be. And, and they were champions in that, in that time frame that we were trying to compete with them. So um, now that, and now that I'm in Utah, it's like, you know, it's like an extension of that. It's an extension of it. And uh, Quinn's, you know, put his imprint on this organization and this team and, and what he wants out of our, our, each individual player. And that's, 
the most fun part is that this if it's so much fun to play because you just you don't you really don't care about yourself at all you just want to see the ball move around and guys score and have fun and to me i think like utah is such a great example of the contra- the different ways to try to build a champion in the league utah is not going to do it through free agency you can't do it the way the lakers and the clippers do it or the way that you know miami with pat riley running the organization has been has been able to do it that it's going to be draft well, keep those guys, and then you know develop and add players around the edges. And it, it to me is just you know I think Denver is very comparable. They've drafted well. Um, they're not going to be a free agent destination. They can't go out and do it the way again. Lakers, Clippers now join that club. Some mm-hmm. others, but but is it interesting to you to see like having continuity, an elite coach, obviously Donovan and Rudy as your stars to go up against the bigger markets that just have some built-in advantages and, and maybe be able to quick fix it. Yeah. You know, there's a, a real sense of pride for us, you know, I think because we understand, you know, what you just alluded to, it is harder to get free agents here. You know, it's, it's not the, the, the bright lights of, of New York or Miami or LA and stuff like that. So um, it can be difficult and for, you know, the process, you know the process is going to be the process. It's going to take it's going to take a few years. It's going to take development of certain guys. It takes your stars to become superstars. You know, it's all that stuff has to happen, and and it, it, it's a testament to the work you know from the coaching staff, uh, front office, and the players in that organization because it's not it's not easy. It's literally like I went from one small market to another one, and it's like the hardest thing to sustain success uh, in small in small markets and. Um, it's like a championship in itself, man, you know, the way that, you know, how hard it is. So, um, yeah, we take a lot of pride in that. Mike, how much do you think about what it's going to take for the league to finish this season? Whether it's going to be, will players eventually be able to be vaccinated or will you have to go to a bubble at some point? What's your sense of getting to the finish line this year? Let me start with the vaccinations. What's your sense among your your peers, guys you play with, guys you talk to around the league, about how much resistance, if any, you're sensing to getting vaccinated? Yeah, um, you know, you've you've kind of heard you know both sides. I know there's guys who are, are worried about it just just because you know it's, it's okay to worry about something new and, and, and unknown, but um, and then there's certain guys are like, man, I, I, I want to get it. So I don't, you know, so I can protect, you know, A, B and C, um, going forward. So, um, I don't, you know, I can't foresee exactly how, you know, how that's going to shape. And, uh, I know, I, I know we're not like the, the front end of people who are in line to get it. So, um, I think it's more important to get those, you know, those, those folks taken care of first, but, um, I do have confidence though. in uh, the season, you know, we get into a finish line because we did it last year. You know, we found a way last year to do it. Um, I know, you know, Adam Silver, uh, Michelle Roberts, you know, everybody is, is, is in, you know, communication and um, always thinking of ways to, to make it uh, sustainable for the players and comfortable for the players and also for the league. So uh, in the safest way. So I think it, I think we can get it done. I just don't know, you know, what angle that'll be. Yeah, and I, and I do wonder, it's funny, when we got to the bubble, before any of us were in there, 
I guess you kind of assumed that there would be some positive tests. You didn't know that the thing could be as airtight as it was. And it turned out to be that it was not an issue. It was not a, once we, you got through the regular season games and then the play-in and then the playoffs, I think the fear largely went away that you're going to have players all of a sudden outbreaks or even a single player. I just think it would be very different trying to do the playoffs outside of that. And you could imagine it just takes one positive test or contact tracing, which knocks multiple guys out. That to me seems to be to make it a lot harder to imagine being in a playoff series outside of the bubble and think that just, and it doesn't have to be somebody being careless. It could be just, you know, you're living with your family and somebody goes to the grocery store, but there's a million ways it can happen. They have nothing to do with you, anybody being careless with it. But I just wonder getting into the postseason, Mike, and all of a sudden three starters are out for games three, four, five, and six, and you go, how could we could we put ourselves in that situation? Does it have to either be everybody's vaccinated or we go back to a bubble? Right. And I think that, you know, it, it, I could see the bubble atmosphere happening again because we've seen it work and we've seen how effective it can be and whether, you know, vaccinations happen or not. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's uh, that's the situation you don't want to run up on. And like you alluded to is, you know, we've had scares throughout every team where, you know, you just, you show up to practice and somebody has to leave practice because uh, their uncle uh, got it somehow and they were around them for a split second. So now they're out for seven days or whatever it is. And, but then your teammate was next to him in contact tracing, and now you got three and four or five guys stressing out and you know possibly missing games. So it's uh, it's it's something you do not want to run up on, um, especially in you know prime time situations. But and, you know the bubble, we know that works. Do you think that there would be more that players in general would be based on conversations you've had or even the feeling you have, they would be more open to the bubble if it was just a tighter period of time. So let's say you can get through the first half of the season or part of that second part of that schedule. And if it was just the playoffs or it was just the last part of the regular season and then the playoffs, do you think as a group guys would be more open to it versus, you know, say, Hey, we're not going back in there for another season. I don't think anybody wanted that players owners. I don't think anybody did, but, but could you see more of an openness to it at the end? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, for a lot of guys who were there, I think that this, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad in the bubble, but I think being away from everybody was the problem. You know, just being away from your kids and your families for, for months at a time is, is what people forget. You know, as, as us athletes, we're still human and um, we have that, you know, those thoughts going on. So um, if we can, you know, get it to where it is just a playoff series and, you know, you're able to get into the bubble for that that those those months or whatever it is or weeks or whatever how long you're there. Um, I think guys would be a little bit more open. Mike, two things that have never happened to you in your career: you've yet to make an all-star team, you've yet to get a technical foul. <laughs> was there ever with the text? Was there ever something you said once and you go, "Okay, I'm about to get it," and you <laughs> didn't get it, or do you think maybe that works? You, you get to say maybe a few more things. They know they know your reputation. They know how you interact with people. But was there ever one where you go, okay, I just got it, and then you were surprised. No, he, did, he didn't call it. He didn't blow the whistle. 
You know, I, uh, I've, I've said a few things that I thought were crossing the line, but I actually had this conversation with J.J. Reddick the other day. Uh, he was in town and just said, uh, I was on his podcast too. Uh, so I, I was like, man, you know, if it was you, J.J., and said what I said, you'd probably get a tech. You know? <laughs> but for, for me, you know, they're like, all right, Mike, you know, calm down a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll take a look at it. So I, I've built up a reputation where I can, I can get away with a little bit. A little, a couple things. <laughs> Are you going to keep pressing the line till you get one? Are you like, like, do you really, would you want to retire without one? Would you like to get one at one point? You know, it, it, I've been going for so long now. It's like, it's like, why get one? But okay. I, I am still, I, I don't think about it in the game. Trust me. I don't think about like whether I should get a tech or not. You know, I'm just like, I'm either mad or I'm not. So like, right. You know, hopefully I don't get one, but we'll see. And the idea of getting uh, in the all-star game, listen, you are, you're, you're leading the league in plus minus by far. LeBron and Kawhi are uh, significantly behind you right now. You're playing as well as you've ever played, and you're on right now what's the best team, uh, certainly the best record in the Western Conference. And you know, you've, you've gone through this. I mean, Mike, you know, if you did the same, if you've had the same, if you had the same exact career in the Eastern Conference, you'd be a six or seven time All Star mm-hmm. by now. And you've been, you know, part of it has been just, the depth of talent in the West, uh, how much thought do you give it? And do you think, well, hey, and, you know, being on a very good team is certainly an advantage, right, to, to getting yeah. in versus – because that's – when you're having that great – you're like, ah, but look at Memphis's record. They're eighth in right. the West or they're ninth in the – and it's an easy way to just eliminate somebody. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I can't lie. I, I still think about it. You know, something that in my career I've always kind of strived for um, – and there's been times where, you know, our teams have been good and, you know, I've had I've been on the cusp of making it and just, you know, just having it. And like I said, that's a testament to the, the depth in, uh, of the West. Um, but, you know, the, there's also been years, you know, you look over at other teams. I think the Atlanta Hawks team, the one year had four guys, or, I don't know, maybe five. That's right. Um, that that made it and, um, and because they all deserved it. You know, that year they all deserved it. They were playing that that's you know that great so um, maybe that'll be the the case this year you know in Utah where we just we have so so many good things going here and um, myself Donovan Rudy JC all of us you know we all kind of get rewarded uh, for playing as a team for being one of the better teams out there and in, in, in that fashion so you know maybe this will be the year uh, you mentioned Mike uh, Donovan and, and Rudy and I wondered when they had things to work through between the shutdown of the season and then the restart. And there was stuff for them to work through. And I always thought, and I had said it from the beginning, like in the, at the end of the day, these two care about winning. They care about the organization. And there's a, a leadership infrastructure in place in Utah that's going to allow this. It's good that they've got some time on their side, but it's going to allow this to mend. How much did you – like? Your role and your stature in this league as a leader, and and did you at any point say, hey, there's a part I can play in this, or is it I just got here and I haven't been around for the whole dynamic of everything? How do you approach that? Um, if it was in Memphis, it would have been an easy one for you. You'd be, right. You and Mark would be in the middle of it with right. whomever it was. How was it different for you in Utah? You know, for a minute I thought I was brought here for that, you know, just to be that guy that can kind of be the, the calming presence to somebody who can 
lend some knowledge to both of them. And, and I did that, you know, I, you know, I remember sitting there having conversations with uh, both of them and even Ed Davis was involved with it. I mean, a bunch of us guys who were vets in the team and, um, thank you. and, uh, and just told them just straight up that we, we are, we are only going to go as far as you guys take us. You guys are the two best players on our team, you know, just how important they are for each other. And, and, and the stuff that they don't see eye to eye on are not big deals at all. You know, there could be the smallest things and, um, and just trying to, you know, explain to them, I, I, me and Mark went through it for spells in Memphis where we, we didn't see eye to eye on certain things, but we built a relationship to where we, we would talk to each other straight up and just tell them like, look, you know, this is how I feel. This is what you need to do. This is what I need from you and vice versa and not, not, not get offensive towards it. So those guys really, you know, started working on that and really, I mean, leading up to the bubble after the whole COVID thing and, and uh, all that stuff that apparently got out. I mean, it was, I mean, we we're playing video games together. We we're all like, you know, doing all these things in the bubble. And I think that just really built just a, a steady foundation for those guys. And you can see it right now. Like, I mean, they're, they're talking all the time they're on the phone or, I mean, FaceTime, I mean, it's everything. So they're, they're, they're tight. Having been around the league and seeing it, whether it was in Memphis or seeing how it played out in other organizations, every team has issues and every leadership, the best players, whoever, there is going to be contentious times. It's, it's a given. It's going to happen everywhere. But ultimately, it feels like in this league more than ever, it is how you handle it. It is how you work through it. Because for every situation, like like you said, how you and Mark would go through a spell, you'd work through it. That happened in San Antonio. It wasn't like that never happened. It did happen with that group. You've seen it happen in Utah. You've seen the team come back playing as well as it has. But it can easily tear a team apart, and you have to start trading guys, and you can almost never put it back together. It just feels like it's more important than ever that you've got the people in place to get through these things, or it blows the whole thing up. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's one of those things that don't go notice how um, certain guys on certain teams, uh, leaders on certain teams are able to, you know, take care of the room and take care of the guys inside of it and um, police each other, you know, as players, you know, you don't want to always just let it get to coaches and things like that. Cause you know, things get kind of muddy in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, the really good teams with, with veteran presence, uh, you're able to handle things on the spot. You're able to, to move on from, from issues. And, and like you said, there's a lot of things that come into that NBA, NBA season, you know, whether it's contract years or certain individual, you know, accolade, you know, you got all these things, team success. What somebody um, said in the family room. What somebody's yeah, yeah. right. What somebody's wife said to somebody's girlfriend in the family room, right? Like, everything. Everything. Every, everything. I mean, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you go down the line. There's so many different <laughs> angles you can guys can get, you know, into their you know feelings or whatever. So um, it's an important part of our you know chemistry to be able to handle all that. Mike, will you do you think you'll stay in the NBA? after retirement, front office, coaching, broadcasting, uh, you'd be great at that. I can see <laughs> there's no role that I can't imagine you that you wouldn't excel at if you decided you wanted to pursue it. Listen, I uh, I would love to be around the NBA. You know, that's all I know now. Uh, 
you know, whether it is through broadcasting, coaching, front office, uh, I'm open. Uh, like I said, if my phone rings, I'm going to answer that phone and, uh, and, and, you know, talk, talk my best talk and be, be the best me I can be, you know, your phone's going to ring Mike. And I, I appreciate you answering it for us. It's a great having you on uh, a lot of fun watching you play this year, watching the jazz play. We'll see you Friday night on ESPN at uh, 10 o'clock against Dallas, but Mike stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll see you in person uh, sooner than later here. All right. Yes. Thank you. Woj. appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Utah Jazz guard, Mike Conley Jr. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also be sure to listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.